Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah, v'ha'arevna Adonai, Eloheinu et divrei Torateka b'finu ufi, amka b'tisrael, v'niye anaknu v'zaetzeinu v'zaetzei amka b'tisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka v'lom de Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai, hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai ki lishuateka ki viti Hashem. May it be soon in our days that we experience the revelation of the final redemption. May it be so. I'd like to welcome you to Shavuot Drops this week. Uh, so this is the Shavuot PSI, the personal search investigator and the please source it. So uh, first up, I just want to go ahead and start with uh, a drop that I shared on Shabbat that really just kind of was like, okay, you know, because one of the things that is so amazing about being Torah observant is that we live out literally everything that's in the Bible, you know, um, the, the patterns, the times, the seasons, uh, the verses, the insights, uh, everything, it all just connects up so beautifully. And so here we are finding ourselves in the time in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8, where it says, But you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and throughout all Yehuda and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And I noted that we're at that point current stage where it's the ends of the earth you know first century they began to go out into all the known world because everything was known throughout the world as far as torah and israel and things like that but the the revelation of the the deeper uh inner inner meanings of the torah as taught by mashiach you know where it says that the prophets long to hear these things you know, that kind of thing. And and furthermore, that, you know, it's really time for the nations to enter in, you know, and just staying, staying to this thing of, oh, the Jews, yeah, they know, and, and things like that. Because when we get into the land, you know, we're supposed to secure the land and we're supposed to build a temple and appoint a king. And uh, none of that ever really fully went down. You know, we got into the land and we just started doing our own thing. We we're like, oh, I like this Canaanite life. This is the Canaanite life, you know. And uh, we started, you know, worshiping Molech and we started doing all the the other idolatrous practices and uh, being like the nations, making covenants with them and things like that. And so and then we decided, oh, yeah, we want a king, by the way. It's like, well, you haven't finished even building the temple yet and you want a king? And so here we are having two kings before we even get to build a temple. And, you know, that just uh, took out Parsha Shoftim. We just completely just took it out, you know. And for people who think that it's okay to take out parts of the Bible, let's just say la to our own history that we took out a Torah portion and here we are in exile, you know. And so... You know, Parsha Shoftim really lays down the pattern and the structure for how we're to build up as a nation, you know. And so how do you have your judges and and how do you do the legal um, enactment of everything? And, you know, how we're supposed to 
focus on making Hashem Lord of our life first, you know, and then we can start from there, you know, and go forth, which is the whole thing of why Mashiach being made flesh for us, you know, is, is the point because we, we have to be brought back to that foundation of Hashem as our Lord, Hashem as our King. And Mashiach was letting us know, well, yeah, like if you're, if you're coming to me, you're, you're being pulled to me because you're being pulled to Hashem, like the father, like, you know, if you, if you really think about everything that Mashiach Yeshua encapsulates, you know, he is the essence of Hashem. And what he pointed us to was Hashem. Who he pointed us to is Hashem, I should say, to be better correct on that, because Messiah offers himself up willingly to let us know that really the flesh is not the end game. You know, this current form that we're in right now, this is not it. You know, now when Mashiach was raised up, now that that's the form. And then what do we do with that form? We unify the heavens and the earth. And so the only way we can have that form now is we can have a 60th of it, basically, if not less or more. I don't know, because there's not really a source for it. But the only way we can really have that now is through living a life of teshuva, constantly being born again, which happens, by the way, when you recite the brachas, when you recite, uh, when you enter into the mikveh when you convert, when you get married and things like that. Um, those are just a few things on top of my head that, you know, those cause you to become new creations. So shouts out to the Havendra Lukot cage. If you just go to his Facebook, uh, and even his, uh, his Instagram, he has a drop on that, you know, about conversion and being born again and, uh, things like that. So all of that, uh, and now let's go back to Acts chapter 1, still in verse 8. So we, we finished to the ends of the earth, so let's move on. It says, after saying all this, while they were watching, he was taken up in a cloud, and a cloud, or he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight while they were staring into heaven as he went up. Suddenly two men with, with them in white clothing are then okay suddenly two men stood with them in white clothing they said men of galilee why do you keep standing here staring into shemaim this yeshua who was taken up from you into shemaim will come in the same way as you saw him go into shemaim now remember that how did we uh how do we see mashiach i.e the torah come down the first time well the shemaim was opened and we saw so let's go ahead and see here uh devarim chapter 5 verse 20 says as soon as you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was blazing with fire you came near to me all the heads of your tribes, all your elders. Then you said, our God has just shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. This day, everybody say this day. That's important because if you've seen episode two of the Shavuot Insights for the Aliyah Day, 
you would learn from Rabbi Griffin Shlita that uh, he brought down insights on Shabbat is called this day. So anyway, um, continuing on, it says this day we have seen that God speaks with man and yet keeps on and yet he keeps on living. That's important because we learn that no man could see God and live, you know, right? So here it is that we yet we keep on living. Well, what's the difference? There's an interface going on. That's called the giving of the Torah. So the giving of the Torah does something as far as allowing us to see Hashem and yet live. Continuing, it says that we see God speaks with man and yet he keeps on living. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of Adonai our God anymore, then we will die. So, continuing, it says, For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? It's important to know, too, Moshe went through this experience on a smaller scale when he went to the burning bush. And again, at the burning bush, Legends of the Jews brings down that that's when Moshe went into Shemaim the first time. So, yeah, that's where the whole... Uh, Memtet turned him into consuming fire so that he can go and and do s the stuff in the throne room with the Shem. Yeah, that happened at the burning bush. So when he went into Shemaim, after we told him we don't want to hear Hashem anymore at the giving of the Torah, you know, like Devarim chapter 5, Shemot 19, Shemot 24, all those passages, uh, yeah, that, that would have been his second trip. So, uh... It's just so crazy to really just think about all that for a second. But Mount Sinai at the giving of the Torah literally was the burning bush, like, but just the big size. You know how Ant-Man's normal and he can shrink down. Okay. Like the shrinking down, that'd be the burning bush and then shrink back up and then go into giant man. That, that would be Mount Sinai. So still looking at a burning bush and, um, ridiculous drops from uh, this compendium. Uh, who, I always want to say Stein Salts, but I know it wasn't Stein Salts. It's from Corin Publishers. They put out this Takun Leel Shavuot Companion. And I believe it is in here that they were talking about the... Uh, vegetation on the mountain so it basically as i was reading this i kept thinking about mount sinai being like a garden um it's just a few pages i don't know like 60 pages or something um let's see here i have to go through this just a little bit so give me a second Because it's on uh, at least starting on page 15. It's going into why we have greenery in the shul during Shavuot. Uh, There's a whole thing back and forth with that. Because they're like, oh, we don't need to put greenery in the shul. That looks like some other festival. Alright, so... Let's 
something about the mountain here. Uh, for your patience. There it is. Brugesham. Writing over a century later in Poland, Rima offers a different reason. It is customary to place greenery in the Beit Knesset, the shul, and the homes as a remembrance of the happiness of the giving of the Torah. Footnote 57. What's the source? Rema 494.3. Continuing, it says, In what way does greenery remind us of the giving of the Torah? Rabbi Mordecai Yofe, may his memory be for a blessing, explains in his Levush Malkut that the greenery reminds us of the plants that adorned Har Sinai, as the verse warns, neither flocks nor herds should be feed or should feed before the mount, etc., or should feed before the mount, Shemot thirty four three, implying that the mountain was filled with plant life. And that footnote says Lavush Malkut four ninety four. So it's just some really cool things. While I'm on this, as I was going through this compendium here, that it's bringing down different halakhic and custom. Uh, observances that different uh, communities operate in and the whole thing about the dairy meal that you're supposed to eat on Shavuot and things like that. There's so much back and forth that you're just kind of like, okay, who's where and what is what, you know, like one person was saying that, you know, go ahead and eat your dairy meal first and then rinse your mouth and go eat your meat meal so that you can have, you know, your two loaves that you're supposed to offer for the challah and, you know, you can eat one loaf with your dairy meal. The second loaf you can eat with your meat meal. And it's like, but there's supposed to be a waiting time. Yeah, there is supposed to be a waiting time. But if you get into Kulin 105 in the Talmud, there's a big discussion back and forth between Hillel and Shammai on that. And uh, what, like, hard cheese, soft cheese, what are we talking about? And the whole time I'm thinking about Parsha Bayera, where Hashem visits uh, Abraham and Abraham brings him the curds and the meat and all that kind of stuff. And everybody's like, oh, no, he's mixing meat and dairy. And it's like, well, actually, there are so many ways to go on that. But with all this information that was just presented, they were saying, you know, be careful. Literally, don't mix, you know, and it's just like, OK, so supposed to eat a dairy meal and you're also supposed to eat a meat meal on Shavuot. And it's like all these different customs for either or back and forth and um and again they don't say like eat it at the same time there is a, a distinction of separation between the meals so whether that be the waiting time or the renting time um that could be the, you know what let me just go ahead and read it because i brought it up so i should just go ahead and let you know Okay, so this is on page, what page is this on? 12, page 12. Go back page 12. It says, how could one conduct himself if he wishes to eat both meat and milk at the same meal? Like, seriously, get you some. This is happening right now. It says some write, say some, some write that one does not eat hard cheese. One who does not eat hard cheese can simply clean and rinse his mouth out. I'm going to go on a limb 
that curds is probably a soft dairy. Just just to throw that out there, because because if Abraham brought curds and then he brought meat, obviously the meat took a long time to be prepared because to go from field to table. I mean, how long are we talking? You got to slaughter the animal, got to let the blood drain out. You got to skin it and prepare it and chop it all up. And then you got to cook it and then you got to prepare it and then you got to serve it. What are you going to have people doing while they're waiting for that? But anyway, just for textual criticism's sake, because everybody's like, oh, put meat and dairy in the same verse. It's like, oh, my gosh. Well, also in the same verse of Torah, we just read over the Shabbat. What did we read over the Shabbat? And uh, Shemot... Uh, Devarim, I was in Devarim chapter five. Hold my place. <laughs> okay. Uh, Shemot, or not Shemot, Bereshit. We're in Bereshit chapter 28, um, verse 10. Yep. Check this out in the same verse. Then Yaakov left Beersheba, went to Haran. Verse 11, he happened upon a certain place and spent the night there for the sun had set. So he took stones from that place and put it by his head and lay down in that place. So in two verses, you have Yaakov left Beersheba and then he went to Haran. But yet now he's over here in this place and the sun is set and now he's doing the whole ladder of Jacob scene. Not to mention that the orator brings down a whole bunch of stuff. Well, Yaakov left Beersheba, gets attacked by his nephew, goes from there, passes by Mount Moriah, and then was like, oh, don't do that. Go to Mount Moriah. And then, oh, man, I'm about to go to Haran. I need to go to the yeshiva. So now I'm going to go 14 years to yeshiva with Shem and Eber. And then after that, okay, let's go to Haran. So all of that takes place in those two verses. So I'm just saying, if you really want to get down with textual criticism, if you don't have the oral Torah to do that, then you might want to just stop what you're doing. Stop, drop, and roll, okay? Because uh, that happens a lot in, in Scripture. So anyway, it says, how should one conduct himself when he wants to do that? Rinse your mouth, then you can eat meat at the same meal. My goodness, where does that come from? 38. says, Magen Abraham 494. Section 6, Mishnah Berua, 494.12. Okay, so then, from there it goes on to say, Rabbi Ovadia Yosef writes that this is his practice. Others, now say others. So we got some, now we got others. So some say, wrench mouth out. Is if it's not hard cheese, if it's like curds, yogurt type stuff, something like that, you're good to go. Obviously, uh, if we're talking pizzas and uh, baked zitis and things like that, that's going to be something else. Okay, but yeah, your little, your little yogurt parfaits, a little ice cream, you know, something like that. All right, depending on what kind of ice cream, because some ice cream, you just like, is this like a whole cake? Like, what are we doing? It exists. I know. But all right. It goes on to say others insist that one should eat dairy, then recite the Birkat Hamazon in deference to the Zohar, because that's Halakha. <laughs> it says, which implies that one should not eat meat and cheese in the same meal. Mm. 
That's from, where is that from? That says, that is from um, Zohar Parshat Mishpatim. Because, you know, that Torah portion totally talks about you should not cook a kid in its mother's milk. Anyway. So, it goes on to say, still others. Now, say still others. Object to this practice on the grounds that reciting Birkat Hamazon in between meals constitutes a recitation of a Baraka She'ena Zericha. That's fancy Hebrew for an unnecessary blessing. But, now say but, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, 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 endorses this practice. All right. So there you go. Just want to let you know, when it comes to halakha, you really need a rabbi. Because if you try to figure that out on your own, first of all, you might be looking a little weird if you're in your community bringing meat to a dairy oneg. And you're like, yeah, we're all going to rinse our mouth and then we're going to have our meat meal. And it's like, you're probably going to get look weird looks from people. So anyway, the mountain was covered in green. And we have greenery on um, a greenery as part of a practice and part of not a practice for Shabbat. But it all goes back to the mountain. What was happening on the mountain? All right. So anyway, that's what I wanted to speak of there on, um, you know, the mountain and the greenery and the coolness on there. So back to Acts chapter one, because because we were there a long time ago. So after saying all this, while they were watching, oh yeah, because we were talking about he went up in the clouds and the clouds opened and that was heaven. They saw heaven. They were staring into heaven. The angels were like, quit staring into heaven. What are you doing that for? It's not time for the giving of the Torah yet. Because Mashiach is going to come back and it's going to be like the giving of the Torah. That's basically the point I was getting at because we were, we were looking into Shemaim. You realize the reason why all of the encampments, as we learned last week's Torah portion, Bami Bar, or shall we say Boomied Bar, talked about how we had our standards that we encamped by, all the flags and things like that. Well, the only reason we knew we should have flags and we should arrange ourselves in formations like that is because, number one, that's what we did when we transported Yaakov from Egypt to um, the cave of Machpelah to bury him, as far as formation goes. But we added the whole flag touch to it because we saw the angels like that when the heavens opened up at Mount Sinai. So as we're looking at Mashiach Yeshua ascending into the clouds, this happened during the 40th day of the Omer. And as far as the Omer that we counted last night, Sleekah, we counted, uh, we counted 46 days of the Omer last night, according to this podcast. So like six days ago, uh, Mashiach ascended. And so for the rest of the time, from the 40th day of the Omer to Shavuot, that's about 10 days, like the 10 days of repentance, the days of awe that we have from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur uh, kind of thing. And uh, if you really just kind of look at the, the beauty of that, also, this is like the nine days that happen at the end of the three weeks of mourning, you know, when everything kind of intensifies. So... There's like a tacoon and, and a tacoon going on because, you know, as we go through the three weeks of mourning, we're actually supposed to be making shuva and really seeking to rectify the damages that our history has, you know, and 
as Rabbi Tonka Truck Shlita brings down, Rabbi Trugman, he brings down that these weeks are like the the lines that we are framing for the three weeks that come up in Tishrei from Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot, namely uh, Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah. That's a three-week period. And so if we set the framework during the three weeks of mourning for what we want to go for and expect during, you know, the high holy days, then you can cut your high holy days are coloring in that framework that you've traced out during the three weeks of mourning. So, yes, everything builds on repentance is basically what that is. And, oh, isn't that Romans chapter three, verse 31? That, yes, our faith and our trust in Hashem establishes our observance of the law. Just like Pesach and Shavuot. Pesach sets the foundation for the Shavuot. The reason why we get to the mountain is because Hashem gave us Pesach. So to say that you want to grab the word of God and not be delivered from Egypt, or you want to stay in Egypt with the word of God, is to really just say, no, Pesach and Shavuot don't exist. And you see how people that have the theology act like an Egyptian, but read the word of God and not really do it all, but stay in Egypt. That's why that belief is worked out like that, because there's no there's no Seder. There, literally, because I mean, there's a Seder in Pesach, but I was saying Seder as an order like, you know, Seder, Sedur, like a prayer book, order of service. You know, there's not an order that we go from Pesach, we count the Omer into Shavuot. You know, so if you take out your Seder, take out your Sidur, take out your order, take out the prayers, take out the Torah portions. There you go. You can do whatever you want. Funny thing is, is people call that freedom. When really, that's actually called anarchy. Um, Right. So Mashiach goes up. Pretty much before Shavuot. Shavuot is when the heavens open up. But yet the heavens opened up on the 40th day. So 10 days before Shavuot. So that's kind of amazing just to think about that. That the Talmudim are looking into Shemaim. And the two angels are like, hey, what are y'all doing? Go. Go do what he said. <laughs> they said, this Yeshua who was taken up. Finally to read verse 11. This Yeshua who was taken up from you into Shemaim will come in the same way as you saw him go into Shemaim. So I just love that because, you know, again, we're, we're talking about, you know, what's actually occurring during uh, Shavuot. So we know that the heavens open up. Let's go to book of our heritage. Uh, and I want to see if I can find this drop about uh, Mount Moriah and uh, Mount Sinai because I posted this and I was like super excited that Book of Our Heritage says that Mount Sinai is like a separated portion of Holodo from Mount Moriah. So like from the Hala, because the separated portion of Doe, that's actually called Hala, by the way, the, the part the women spray over and burn up and all that kind of stuff. That's that's actually called hollow. And the rest of it's the loaf. So if you really think about where we receive the Torah from, we receive the Torah like Teruma, which because Hala is Teruma, by the way. And that represented a Dom. 
And then that is, you know, the the mountain where the Torah is given. And it's like, so you receive the Torah like Hashem receiving that holiday that's been separated. And so like a festival of Hala, we're bringing the two loaves, you know, to wave them before Hashem. We ourselves become new creations, you know, and things like that. And so we're each a little portion of, of Mashiach, basically. So if you think of Mashiach as the whole loaf and you pull off a little chunk, each of us become like a little piece of Hala, like a little Mount Sinai from Mount Moriah. So, I have no idea how to find this. So, Hagadosh Baruchu, I uh, ask that you will help me with this. Because, not really sure how to do this. Because um, I'm thinking that... Yeah, here we go. I think this is it. Thank you, Hashem. From Legends of the Yehudim. Page 1305, because I have the ebook, but it's under the section called the Contest of the Mountains. It says Mount Sinai was given the preference not for its humility alone. OK, so it's not just about humility here, but also because upon it, there had been no worshiping of idols, whereas other mountains, owing to their height, have been employed as sanctuaries by the idolaters. Mount Sinai has a further significance, too, for it had been originally a part of Mount Moriah on which Yitzhak was to have been sacrificed. But Sinai, separated from it, came to the desert. Then God said, because their father Yitzhak lay upon this mountain, bound as a sacrifice, it is fitting that upon it, his children received the Torah. Now, that's outrageous. And I love how Legends of the Jews just drops that in there like, oh, yeah, yeah we, we know about this. Oh, you didn't know that? So as I'm in Book of Our Heritage on page uh, 795, it says the same thing. It says, from, from where did Sinai come from? So... This makes that whole Midrash in Shabbat 88 about the mountain being lifted up and hovering over us like a hoopah, but we thought it was a death trap because, you know, we got scared, which, by the way, the law does seem like a death trap if you're scared. So if, you, if you're not perfected in love, which casts out fear, by the way, perfect love casts out fear. It's totally averse. And uh, if you're not perfected in love, you're full of fear, then the law is death. The law is a trap. The law is a burden. The law is just, you don't want it because you're full of fear. And if you're full of fear, Hashem is not your master because fear's master is the Nakash, which is the one who told us to eat the fruit because you won't surely die when you eat it. You know, it's kind of like that whole concept of, uh, he's not dead. He's mostly dead from one of the movies and it's just like you won't die you'll mostly die you won't surely die and it's like that's all fear talk by the way so yeah yoke of slavery being the torah and all that kind of stuff that's where that comes from so you know it's self-incriminating if you say that the law is bondage and it's a burden you're you're really saying that god's not your lord and king 
because also what happens when you take that stance is you say, God, I know you gave this to us, but you didn't really mean it. So thank you for letting me do what I want to do. And I'll serve you how I want to serve you. Now, you just think about how that sounds. First of all, that sounds very arrogant. And second of all, how do you really serve Hashem how you want to serve Hashem? Like, as if you make the standards and the basis for everything. I mean, you really just think about that. Like, okay, I choose my Shabbat to be Wednesday. And I choose my holiday to be something that somebody else tells me I should do. Which, by the way, it's like a double standard. Because, like, you're... You're telling Hashem you don't want to do what he wants you to do, and you want to do what you want to do, but yet what you want to do is what somebody else tells you to do, who's not Hashem, by the way. Because if you really believed that you have this freedom from the law, and that that's really what freedom from the law is, to do whatever you want to do, then why do you bow your knee to to those and to that which tells you Put up a tree, do presents, um, you know, do Valentine's Day, do a bunny loving egg day, you know, like you're you you're bowing to that, like you're subjecting yourself to that lordship. When you find out who's behind all these different holidays, you find out it's not Hashem. That's why it's not mentioned in the Torah. That's why it's not mentioned in the law of God. But yet you find that the apostles, the apostles the Talmudim of Mashiach, the followers of Mashiach, the believers in Hashem, which are all synonymous, by the way, from Abraham to Paul, obviously beyond that, but I'm just saying, if we really want to just bring in the heavy hitters, let's bring in Abraham and Paul. What's the difference between those two? Because many people would say, oh, well, Abraham was before Messiah, Paul was after Messiah. But yeah, we're reading the Messiah existed before creation, so I mean, what is that? And again, Mount Sinai is where Mashiach was prophesied and everything that was at Mount Sinai. That's what Abraham and his household were doing. So Mount Sinai was like a public revelation for everybody. It was like, all right, who wants to come to truth? Here you go. But yeah, so, you know, the fear message is the gospel of grace message that exists on Sunday mornings or at least to a certain extent they used to exist on Sunday mornings. Now I don't know what they're doing. But, um, you know, that's kind of a, a fear mongering thing that says I do what I want unless somebody else tells me to do it. As long as it's not a shem, though, I'm totally fine with that. That's unfortunate. But anyway, so, yeah, in the book of our heritage, it tells us where did Mount Sinai come from? And it says Rabbi Yose taught it was torn off from Mount Moriah like the hollow portion of the dough which is set aside for the Kohen from that very spot where our forefather Yitzhak was bound as a sacrifice. The Holy One blessed is he said, what did he say? Since their father Yitzhak was bound on the altar upon it, it is right that his sons receive the Torah upon it. All right. I want to go back to something that I really kind of brought down but not really about this whole 50 or 51 days because it talks about how when we counted the omer it was really like we counted actually 51 days 
So it's important to note, first of all, why is this important? Because the counting of the Omer is the Kol HaMoed. Say Kol HaMoed. That means the intermediate days between the festival. So Kol HaMoed would be like the second day of Sukkot, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. Those are all Kol HaMoed. Like those are festival days, but you can work. Okay, Hanukkah, same thing. It has Kol HaMoed days because, well, technically not really because you don't take a Shabbat for um, for Hanukkah. But if you took a Shabbat at the beginning and took a Shabbat at the end, the days between the Shabbats would be Kol HaMoed. So let's go ahead and just zoom that all the way out to our weekly Shabbat. That means our Yom Rishon to our sixth day. Those are all technically Kol Hamoed. So we live in a Kol Hamoed, which is kind of cool, just kind of thinking about it to a certain extent. But typically, Kol Hamoed really applies technically to the days between the Sabbaths, and namely the Sabbaths of festivals. But remember, Pesach and Shavuot are really one festival, so there's that. And um, just kind of going on to the extent that from the last day of Pesach to the festival of Shabbat, what's connecting those two are the counting of, is the counting of the Omer. So let me see where they do the whole counting thing. All right. So I think it starts here. This is book of our heritage. I, I call it volume three, but it's probably not because I have the pocket size. Shouts out to uh, Zaken Milkama Shlita for hooking a brother up. It's just like, this is way too small for me, young man. Uh, you have better eyes, so here you go. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll take the little pocketbook. That's cool. All right, um, beggars can't be choosers, okay, or complainers either. So <laughs> there's that. All right, so I'm going to start here, and hopefully this is it. I feel like it is says, as we have seen, Moshe added a day on his own. To what? To the preparations for the receiving of the Torah. You know, because let's go ahead and go to the source. Shemot 19. Okay. So if we're in Shemot 19, right, we go over there. We go over there and then what are we going to do? What we're going to do is go back. All the way back. Okay. Be ready for the third day. I just love third day drops, you know, because we're talking resurrection here. So we go from Egypt to the mountain and then we get there and it's like, all right, it's about to go down. But first, let's do a three day period where you're going to go from death into life. Because on this third day, when the Torah would be given, this is when we gained immortality again. We were no longer going to go into exile. We were no longer going to die. And we got all these crazy garments of glory that Hashem like robed us up in. So like we was ready for it. It would have been a lump had it not been for the golden calf. So thinking about that with Mashiach being the one who went ahead of us in this, like he raised up in that body that we received three days later from this, this time here in this text. So we could have been, we could have been there, but, uh, Gamzu Tova, you know, and now for thousands of years, we have had many opportunities for the whole entire world to embrace the yoke of Torah, 
and uh what happened uh that got covered up and it's like don't embrace the yoga torah uh bazooka the yoke of torah because we don't need it and we got messiah so and it's like well you clearly don't understand who you have if that's how you feel you should act but anyway and now hashem has brought up lapid and baruch hashem for such a time as this because we need to be the end game and uh again episode two of the aliyah day this week it says that the festival of Shavuot is the festival to which the redemption points. So if you're going to call yourself redeemed, your end game is receiving of the Torah. If you think you can be redeemed and not receive the Torah, then that insinuates and implies and infers that you either died in the wilderness, like before the clouds of glory, because you realize clouds of glory didn't come until we, you know, did the whole Red Sea thing. But anyway, because there was a period of time where we were just going back and forth, still kind of on the outskirts of Egypt. So you died there, or you either drowned with the Egyptians in the sea. You didn't make it to the seashore to go ahead and go into the rest of the wilderness towards Mount Sinai. Or you got killed by Amalek, because some people, they truly do immerse in receive being born again but then they get wiped out by Amalek you know so then there's that because Amalek attacked us before we got to Mount Sinai so there's that or you just really didn't do any of all of that and you just stayed in Egypt on the night of the 14th of Nisan and you know blood was on your doorpost and somehow you didn't die but yet the next morning you didn't leave with us or you did die and you're you're just walking dead in Egypt I mean, I don't really want to know how that's possible, but if you really listen to the grace message, those are the scenarios. It's like, take your pick, and that's what we're talking about. But anyway, so Hashem said, go to the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, let them wash. So these two days of sanctification will lead to the third day on this third day, which is what our verse picks up with. It says, from the third day, Adonai will come down on the mountain, you know, the same way that Mashiach went up, same way he's going to come down, like that whole thing, Acts chapter 1. So he's going to come down in the sight of all the people, Den Devarim chapter 5, that's where that comes in. We saw everything, and it was like freaking us out and stuff. Yep, Devarim chapter 5 corresponds to this it says you are set or you are to set boundaries for the people all around saying be very careful not to come up onto the mountain i know it looks pretty i know it's a beautiful fire show uh it says because it looks like gunny den you know you have to think about the tree of life because the staff of moshe by the way was called a branch for the tree of life that's from the zohar mishpatim breaks that down pun intended uh, because the tree of life was literally a, a sapphire tree. So if Moshe's staff is sapphire, you know, it has that look to it, then that's the tree of life. And so you have this garden of just unbelievable glory and colors and uh, what things are made of. I mean, it's insane to really kind of think about that. But anyway, so to think of recreating that on Mount Sinai is just, it's beautiful because again, we learn from the Midrash as well that when Yitzhak was offered as an Akedah on Mount Moriah, when Mount Sinai was still a part of it, that the smell of Gani Den encapsulated that whole area. 
So, and the Garden of Eden is on Mount Moriah, by the way. So, anyway. All of that to say this. On the third day, Hashem's going to come down in the sight of all the people. Be very careful not to touch the mountain. All that. And it says, whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. Not a hand is to touch it. But he will surely be stoned or shot through. That sounds scary. It says, whether it is an animal or man, it don't matter who it is, they go in general. It says, it will not live. When the shofar sounds, they may come up to the mountain. Okay. So, that's the three-day period we're talking about. So, Moshe added a day, though. It's like, okay, so I know Hashem said he's going to come down on the third day, but let's add a day. Now, I was reading in the Midrash says, just minding my own business, about the war against Amalek. And Amalek knew that they were going to kill us and defeat us, which, by the way, is why they went into war. They, We don't care about the clouds of glory. There's people that doubt anyway, so let's just go ahead and kill them. Whoever the cloud kicks out, we're taking them down. Maybe the whole cloud will go down and we can take everybody out. But we'll see. We'll do what we can do. But anyway, one of the things that they did is they looked at the constellations and they were like, this is how we're going to get the victory. So the stars tell us da-da-da-da-da. Our zodiac, our horoscope tells us this, and therefore we're going to do it. Note that Amalek is not Jewish. He is absolutely 100% a descendant of Esau, who is Edom, Rome, Christianity, non-Jews, nations, pagans. Okay? All of that. Now, it says that they saw in all of that that they were going to have the victory. So, Moshe, this is where it just goes on to say. Again, Midrash says, Shemot on the war with Amalek. Moshe, when he was on the mountain with Aharon and Hur, that he changed. Yes, he did, girl. Yes, he did. He changed the constellations. And the sun stood still and the battle was victorious with Moshe's hands continuing to be raised. As long as his hands are up, the Israelites were winning. If his hands fell, then the Malachites started winning. So, anyway, to those who are like, okay, Moshe added a day. Moshe changes the constellations. He caused the sun to stand still. Also, Yehoshua, by the way, yeah, uh, Moshe's successor caused the sun to stand still too. There's another thing. So Moshe, Yeshua comparisons, those are all going on. Now, as ridiculous as all this information is, the point is that there is something with the order of the constellations and the control that Moshe had over them. Because the other thing we learned from the Midrash Rabbah, Parshakitisa, the whole drop about Moshe's tent. If you haven't read, if you haven't listened to the Moshe's tent podcast, I would suggest you go back and do it. So what I'm talking about right now to you doesn't sound like who's putting foil in the microwave. But yes, okay, just know that, believe that, trust that that this is ridiculous. But the the all the stars, the sun, the moon, the constellation had to come to Moshe's tent before they could go out and do their thing. So before they could be sunrise, the sun had to go. Let's go to Ten of Moshe today. All right, I can rise. All right, cool. Brugashem, I'm out. You know, and then same thing for the moon, same thing for the stars, all that. I mean, it's, it's insane. Everything had to come to the Ten of Moses. 
Now, Moshe is adding a day here. So what are we talking about? Hashem says it's going to be a three-day period, but Moshe is going to put a, a fourth day, basically, into the mix. But yet it's still going to be three days. Now, where have we seen this before? We've seen this before when Moshe was looking for the bones of Yosef, that as we were getting ready to leave Egypt, we were going to the house of the different Egyptians, and we were getting their gold and their jewels and all that, right? Right. So Moshe was like, y'all go do that. I'm going to go get the real jewels and the the stuff, the rewards. That's Yosef. It says it took him three days to go find it. Mind you, we're leaving Egypt. We're talking 15th of Nisan. So if we're talking three days, that technically would have been, I don't know, like the 17th or the 18th of Nisan, like the day after Resurrection Day, because 16th of Nisan is Resurrection Day. 15th of Nisan is when Pharaoh told us to get out. So 15th, 16th, 17th, okay? Three-day period looking for Yosef's bones. But yet we were supposed to be out in the wilderness and, and going towards Yom Suf because by the seventh day of Pesach, which would have been four days later uh, from Moshe starting to look for the bones. That's when we made it to the Yom Suf. So three out of the seven days of Pesach is Moshe looking for the bones. But yet the first day of Pesach, we're getting out of Egypt and Moshe still in Egypt. But yet there's a whole three day inside of one day time period going on so that we can go out and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's it's just kind of, if you just stop and think about it, it's like, how can you do this? Because <laughs> it doesn't make sense that three days can contain four days. That's where I'm going with it. I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. Hashem said three days with Moshe. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to add a day in there, but we're still going to be at three days. Cool. All right. Everybody got it? Cool. Three days, but it's really four days. Okay. That That's what's happening right now. So Moshe adds a day of preparation for receiving the Torah for this reason. The giving of the Torah was delayed until the 7th of Sivan. Now, this is kind of where the diaspora observance of Shavuot kind of comes into play. Because technically, the second day of Shavuot would be the 7th of Sivan. Because the first day of Shavuot is the 16th of Shavon, Sivan. And if you're on the Israeli and the Lapid calendar, then you would know we don't do diaspora days. And so, you know, we're celebrating Shavuot on the 6th of Nisan and we're done. But if you're in the diaspora, though, you're you're into the 7th of Nisan now. And this year, that 7th of Sivan is going to... 7th of Nisan, Sleka. The 7th of Sivan is going to fall out on a Shabbat. So that means it's going to be a Shabbat Yikzor, kind of like what we would do with a Pesach, depending on how that fell out. Which means, by the way, we're going to be off on our tour portion. So, yes, barrel rolling into another swerve. Just want to bring this down to you from Rabbi GQ Shlita. Love this guy. Uh, he just does such a wonderful job of just kind of launching us out into the Parsha. So, normally I would be doing Parsha, not so PSI, but... You know, depending on time, I'll try to get to that because I have a drop from Levy Yahoo that I want to share with everybody. Uh, Mr. Ninja, get you some. But anyway, it says from Shabbat, May 30th. Coming up. 
It says, until Shabbat, July the 4th, the weekly Torah readings in Israel and the diaspora communities will be out of sync. This is because the first day of the festival of Shabbat this year occurs on Friday, May the 29th, which means it begins at the sundown of Thursday, May the 28th. Says thus in the diaspora, the second day of the festival of Shabbat will occur on Shabbat, May 30th. And the readings are the special readings for the festival. Devarim chapter 15, 19 through 16. Devarim chapter 17. Um, Sika. Devarim chapter 15, verse 19 through chapter 16, verse 17. And. Bami Bar 28, 26 through 31, Haftarah Habakkuk 2, 20, verse 319. Obviously, that would vary depending on your community. So I'm wondering what uh, Teka, that's right. If you didn't know, Ketura Shlita, she is a Avenger and she is Teka, which is one of the characters from the upcoming film, The Immortals or The Eternals. Yeah, so, you know, shouts out to her on that. Her character's, re- like, ridiculous. It's, uh, I believe it's the Thena character, if I'm not correct. If I'm not mistaken, Sleek Yep, she is. She's Thena. And guess who's playing that character? Angelina Jolie. Of course. Surprise! But anyway, uh, yeah, so Tekka our uh, agent on the ones and twos of the get you some administrative aspects of social home. We'll see what she throws out at us for all the readings. Cause you know, she does a good job with all that. So anyway, shouts out to Tekka for Tekka a minute to hook us up with some stuff. So, you know, anyway, but those are the special readings generally for, you know, Shabbat Yixor of this upcoming Shabbat Oat. So, just to throw that out there on this whole day challenge and out of sync stuff. So Parsha Naso technically will be next week, even though some people are going to go ahead and go right into Beha Aloteca. Jealous? Of course I'm jealous. So, but that's not for now. Now I'm supposed to be reading from Book of Our Heritage and not being jealous that we're going to be a week behind. Anyway. We'll see what Captain Yisrael does. Maybe he'll be like, eh, no, we can do NASA. Maybe we'll do NASA and Behalotech. I don't know. I mean, who knows what that guy's going to do, right? Anyway, but just so everybody knows, if you ever wonder, well, I thought we're on Parsha Behalotech, and how come we didn't study Parsha NASA? And how come how come we're waiting a week? And what what? why am I on Chabad and I'm seeing this, but yet I'm on the the hep cal and i'm seeing something else and it's like there you go it's all gonna be out of sync starting this shabbat you have been warned okay so moshe adds days and yet it's still a three-day period anyway seventh of savan sixth of savan both are considered to be giving of the torah and technically it's the sixth of savan that we go by and it's just like okay so all that being said, that changes the Omer count to like a 50 day, changes that to a 51 day Omer count. Now, remember, we only count 49 days. So because of the 50th day or the 51st day, according to what we're reading here in Shemot 19, those are really days that are in the hands of Hashem anyway. 
And if we really talk about days according to Hashem, they're like a thousand years. So we got a 2,000 year thing going on here between the 6th of Savan and the 7th of Savan. If we kind of look at that, but Hashem causes 2,000 years to be brought into our timeline and it looks like Shabbat or it looks like the birth of the Messiah. So either of those that you want to pick because the Torah was 2,000 years before creation, by the way, and so was Mashiach. So Mashiach is the Torah. Why do I just have this feeling? I just don't know what I'm saying right now. Like, I just, what's happening? Anyway, hopefully it's mocha just coming down. Not like a mocha, like a uh, coffee mocha, but like mocha, new spiritual drops and uh, superpowers coming down. That'd be great. Would love my superior Iron Man suit. That would be awesome. It's like some kind of fancy suit. It's the picture I have up. It's like an alien metal of some sort. Anyway, uh, it goes on to say, it has been mentioned earlier that the 50-day period of the Omer count corresponds to the 50 days that Israel counted in anticipation of receiving the Torah. Count it! Okay, I like saying that when I count the Omer, by the way. It's like, Brukatah Adonai, Lohanim, and I call Alam, and then we do the Omer thing, and then we say, today is da-da-da-da-da, and such and such uh, days and weeks of the Omer, there's weeks and days of the Omer, and then I'm just like, count it, and then go into the rest of the brachas. Anyway, that's just a fun thing to say. I love it. I know, you would think, it's it's only been 46 days of the Omer, Matt, and now you want to share that with us? I don't know, it's just something that's so fun. <clears throat> Not that I'm influential or anything like that. Not that I try to be. So we counted 50 days in anticipation of receiving the Torah. The 50 days from the morrow of the Pesach, which is the 16th of Nisan, morrow of Pesach. Let's put it in our heads right now. Morrow of Pesach equals 16th of Nisan. Awesome. You're going to be ahead of so many classes just by knowing that one drop. Anyway, from 16th of Nisan until they would hear God's voice speak to them and they would witness his glory. I want to throw out to you that on this page of uh, the... Wow, that's a lot of pages on Shavuot. No wonder I haven't finished this. I was like, man, I'm just reading and reading in the book of our heritage. And I'm like, I can't finish. Okay, so we're on page 769. I'm going to go all the way to page 797. I posted this too. It says that each heard God's voice according to his own capacity and ability to understand. So one of the things that's happening, like, between us and Hashem, you know, as we're counting our Omer each night, we're opening up those channels for how much we really want to receive Hashem. So if you're counting your Omer all lackadaisical, you know, you're really cutting down on your power siphoning there, like putting a whole bunch of extra filters in there. But if you're turned up as you're counting the Omer, then you can expect a turned up Shabbat. So just meet a connected meet You get out of it what you put into it. All of the above. Okay. So God's voice is going to speak to them and they will witness his glory. However, if 
Moshe added a day on his own. They count it for 51 days, and our own, and our count of the Omer does not correspond to theirs. Also need to note this ridiculous nugget from, I believe this is page 790-something. Yeah, 794. No generation has ever risen nor will one rise, which is as worthy of receiving the Torah as was that generation. So why is our own account different from the own account that they did in the wilderness? Because we're not on that level. So yeah, that's that should humble us. Okay, uh, not that we need to eat humble pie all of a sudden, but just saying, like, you know, we think about you know, like just the same way we think about Kepha, we're like, Kepha, I can't believe that you deny Yeshua three times and you told him you wasn't, but you was the same person who walked on the water. You was about to cut off somebody's ear and Yeshua was like, put your sword down. I healed this guy real quick. We can't do that right now. And then you jump out of your boat and swim to shore and you're like, oh, Mashiach, you know, and like, and we just think Kaif was such a crazy person. And then later in Acts, we're like, he doesn't even know that he can eat unkosher. And it's like, we think that he's just like this really goober type person or something. But yeah, he has letters in the Bible and he made like holacically binding decisions for the community of the believers in the Messiah. So I'm just going to go out and on a limb, on a very, very big limb, and say that I'm pretty sure Kepha was not an ignoramus. Just like we think the people in the wilderness, because they died in the 40 years of the wilderness, are always complaining about food and making jokes about was there not enough graves in Egypt, and they were crying on Tisha for no reason, and they were like, we can't go into the land. We think that they're all a bunch of ignoramus people. And they weren't. We're talking about people who lived through the plagues of Egypt and that times 50 at the Yom Suf and through the battle of Amalek and through the giving of the Torah. Like, if you think about what it takes to make it through half of any of that, you or I could not, we, we don't measure up. We're we're in a world of COVID-19 right now and we see how well that's working out. Right. So this is minus all the stuff that went down in Egypt and at the sea and at the mountain of Sinai. So I'm just saying, how are we doing with COVID-19 is kind of a, you know, kind of come to moment on things. We were having so much fun and then it's like turbulence. Okay. But we got rocket boosters, so let's put the boosters back on. Flight stabilizers engaged. It says, Moreover, how can we refer to the 6th of Savan as the time of the giving of the Torah? If the Torah was actually given on the 7th of the month. Just blasphemy. How could we do that? Well, there's a reason. It says, And how could Moshe have added a day on his own? I thought Moshe only does what he sees his father doing. Hmm. Says if he had not been commanded to do so, Moshe only does what he's commanded to do, which is the reason why Moshe died, by the way, because had he not been commanded, he would not have died. If you read 
Parsha Zohar Baraka and get into just a little bit of commentary, you see that the last day of Moshe's life was ridiculous. Homeboy would not die for nothing. It was only until Hashem was like, okay, Moshe, it's time. And he was like, okay. But everything else just came at him and it just, it, it failed. It was futile. So Moshe died on command the same way Mashiach Yeshua did. Because by the way, no amount of persecution and suffering that was placed on Mashiach, because remember his body, you know, yeah, it's a human body, but it's animated by the Shekinah of God. So we're talking not just a man here. That uh, the only reason he died is because he was commanded to. Because, I mean, if you think about what he endured, any human being would have passed out after the garden, technically. I mean, all the stuff that was going on with the trials and the, the beatings and all that kind of stuff. And plus, he was not given any food. So he was basically on a fast after his uh, Seder from the previous night. So staying up all night and during heavy burdens, uh, super stressed. You got to know his blood pressure was had to be off the scales. I mean, put a blood pressure machine on that guy or on Mashiach and uh, and see how that goes. Right. Like Garden of Gethsemane blood pressure is off. the. He should have had a stroke. So I'm just saying, this is some supernatural stuff going on here. All right. The matter can be explained thus. At first, when Moshe told the people what he had heard at the bush, you shall serve God on this mountain, Shemot 3.12, he told them that this would take place 50 days after they left Egypt. These 50 days were to be complete. 24 hour days and therefore to be counted beginning from the morning of the 16th of Nisan, the time when the Omer offering would be brought in subsequent generations. That sounds all great, right? Because we count the Omer on the 16th of Nisan, but when do we count it on the Erev of the 16th of Nisan? So 24 hour periods, making it the Erev of the 6th of Sivan would be 50 days. But if you want to go 24 hour periods from the morning of the 16th of Nisan, now you're looking at into the 6th of Sivan headed towards the 7th of Sivan. So you're in between the 6th and the 7th, technically, if you do this Omer count like we did it coming out of Egypt. But Moshe adding a day went ahead and took out that discrepancy. So that way on the 7th of Sivan, there you go. You're into your your full 24 hours and the Torah could be given without encroaching on anything. So delay it by like a half day or something. Which is interesting because when Moshe went up the mountain, the reason we made the golden calf and we thought Moshe wasn't coming back is because the 6th hour of the 49th day, we just or the uh, 39th day, Slika, because Moshe said 40 days, I'll be right back. And it's like, are we talking from tonight or are we talking from in the morning? Because we know we had to do this 24 hour period thing. Which if this is starting to sound confusing, great, because this is why we're not supposed to count the days, the time or the hour trying to anticipate when stuff is supposed to happen, because we see how we can easily get off every time somebody's counted up to a redemptive event. Um, it's not worked. It, it, the tribe of Ephraim, 
they thought, oh, the, the 400 years are over. We're leaving Egypt now. And it's like, well, you're going to get taken out by the Philistines. Oh, Moses should have been back. It's the 40th day. And it's like, well, no, it's to the 39th day. Well, it doesn't matter. We'll just make a golden calf. So anyway, don't count on it kind of stuff. But yet we count the Omer and we're fine. Because why? Hashem commanded us to count the Omer. And he doesn't give us the date of Shabbat. That's why by the time we finish counting the Omer, it is Shabbat. And we don't have to worry about making sure that we were uh, on the right track or not. Because no man knows the day or the hour. And when you finish counting your Omer, oh look, it's the 50th day. How about that? Count 50, week, 50 days, 7 weeks. You know, after you do that, Hashem takes over from there. So I know it's crazy, but we got to keep moving because it says that uh, he was therefore to be counted from the morning of the 16th of Nisan, the time when the Omer would be offered. It says that the 50 days thus were counted with the night following the morning, making up one complete day. So the days were counted with the night following the morning okay how do we count time now with the night that precedes the morning and there was evening and there was morning okay uh incidentally because there's no coincidence we say that for the kiddish on friday night for Arab shabbat and what do we say yom ha she she the sixth day and the commentaries bring down that the sixth day is speaking of the sixth of Savan where the Torah is given. So in order for you to arrive to the sixth of Savan, you have to be counting from the night that precedes the morning and not the night that follows the morning, like what happened here. So when Moshe is adding this whole extra day, that's kind of where our little timelines, uh, measure out and shake out to come oh the torah had to be given on the seventh of Sivan because if you keep reading it talks about that the first shabbat happened on a shabbat because we arrived again discrepancy commentary we arrived on a first day of the week uh to get to mount sinai so the shabbat would be the seventh day and that's when the torah was given so rosh Hadesh would be a yom rishon giving of the Torah would be that following Shabbat, all that kind of stuff. So again, those are all commentaries that I'm not really trying to get into right now, but I just want to break down this 50 versus 51 day Omer count drop. So it says, although in the calendar of creation, night precedes day and the evening is the beginning of the next day. When man sinned, he became, he began counting the night as the end of the previous day rather than as the beginning of the subsequent day because of his transgression he was given a life of labor and toil to exhaust him and prevent him from further sin so one of the ways that we're delivered from sin by the way is working so if we're if we're doing a lot of hard work and then we know we have to come home and be responsible people to our families and stuff that cuts out on the sin or it's supposed to 
However, that could probably, I see from a different perspective, elevate the sin because you're like, I'm tired right now and I don't have time for this. And if another person comes at me the wrong way, I will cut them down. But anyway, Musa, right? So as the verse bear sheet 822 notes, day and night shall not cease. That is the day was followed rather than preceded by the night. So. In other words, you wouldn't say Yom Rishon began at Havdalah. You'd say Yom Rishon began at Yom Shani, like second day of the week. Oh, snap. Is this why people think Monday is the first day of the week? Oh, come on now. Come on now. People think Monday is totally the first day of the week and Sunday is not. And they think because now Monday being the first day of the week, guess what happens to be the seventh day now? If you go by that calendar, Sunday, Sunday now is the new Sabbath. So if we make Monday first day of the week and we make Sunday the seventh day of the week now, oh, look, Sunday is the Shabbat. And now all of a sudden people want to go, yeah, I worship God on the seventh day of the week. I worship God on the Shabbat. You're like, really? You do it on Saturday? It's like, no, I do it on on Sunday because, you know, the week starts on Monday. Because, you know, because of sin and stuff, we count the day following the night. So, you know, it's not first day until Monday. You know, what's wrong with you? Like, what's what's your problem? Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Bear Sheet 822, Book of Our Heritage, drop kicking everybody right in the grill. Okay. So, what I really want to get to is this. It's the next paragraph. Let me just finish this paragraph. It says, for this is how man sees his day. Israel, before the Torah was given, were considered like children of Noah. They were considered Noahides. So, this is also absolutely ridiculous. That if you're not in Torah, you're considered to be a Noahide, according to theology that exists in the world today. The only problem with that is people say, yeah, don't convert, be a Noahide. When the very people who say that, if they go back far enough, they realize they used to be a Noahide. Because why? Everybody was a Noahide before the giving of the Torah. When the Torah came, which is kind of weird because the Torah was always here, but when the Torah was revealed on Shavuot, there's your line. It's like, are you going to stay outside of covenant or are you going to get in covenant? Like to the whole world. Cause before this, it was whoever wanted to get grafted into Abraham. And then, you know, everybody was like, Oh, I only know about this. Cause, cause Abraham, you know, and Yitzhak and Yaakov and, and Moshe or Yosef, Moshe. Now the whole world knows cause of Belam. Telling 29, I know, it's ridiculous. We'll talk about it in a second, but I just want to read this. So, everybody knows that you're either in or you're out. There's no third option. So, when you get into this understanding of what a Noahide truly is, those are the people who are on a different calendar, different holidays, not in Torah, not in covenant. They don't count the days starting with the nighttime. Like, so, it's just all revealed right there so anyway children of israel were considered ben a noach and therefore followed the same calendar as the rest of humanity 
So if you're a Noahide, you don't do Torah. And and people who want to do Torah are told, no, don't don't do that. Don't convert. Be a Noahide. But yet these people want to believe in the Messiah. These people want to read the Bible. Noahides don't do that stuff. It's like, well, they're supposed to set up courts of justice. They're not supposed to eat, you know, limbs from a living animal and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, yeah, but your whole premise of what a Noahide is is completely off base because it's biblical. Because what did Noah's children learn from him? You know? And and ultimately, who set up the Academy of Torah in the world? Noah and and Shem and Eber. And that's where Abraham learned from and all his family. So much for Noahides. I mean, goodness. It's just being outside of covenant on a different calendar. So, the paragraph I really wanted to read. With the giving of the Torah, however, Israel was restored to man's original state as partner in creation. They therefore began to once again count the days beginning from the previous night as it had been done during creation. As the verse in Bereshit 1.5 notes, and there was evening and there was morning, Yom Echad. So, there's a whole thing with how the days were counted, and that's why sometimes you'll hear about the seventh of Savan being the uh, the Omer count, or the completion of the Omer count and the giving of the Torah, and how the Diaspora Day all kind of plays into that. So really, with the Diaspora Day, you're getting into kind of dangerous territory. It's going to sound really weird that I got to say this, but that puts us back on a different calendar. And we're counting the days differently. But I know the people who do Diaspora Day don't count a 50th day of the Omer. So, obviously there's that. So what happened? Why did I say Belam told the world? Because if you didn't listen to Moshe, you listened to Belam. So that's how we start. Telling 29. If you don't listen to Moshe, you listen to Belam. Wow. Wow. Let me just expound on that for a second in case that that didn't uh, come across like it sounded it came across. Moses, Torah, Law of God, Messiah. So if you're listening to Moses, you're all about that. If you don't listen to Moses, you're Belam, you are Esau, you are Amalek, you are Pharaoh, no Torah, let's stay in what's left of Egypt, let's drown in the sea, let's not go to the mountain, and let's not go to Israel. Let's go anywhere but there, listen to anything but that, that's Belam. So, if you don't listen to Moses, then you listen to Belam. Because why? Oh, goodness. Let's start over here and um, talking about the voices of Hashem, right? So let's go ahead and read it. 
from the beginning. A psalm by David, render to God, O children of the mighty, render to God honor and strength, render to God the honor due his name, bow down to God in the resplendent holiness. The voice of God is over the waters, the voice of God, or the, the God of glory thunders. God is mighty over the waters. That's number one. The voice of God resounds with might, the voice of God resounds with majesty two and three the voice of god breaks the cedars god shatters the cedars of lebanon it's number four he makes a calf to leap or he makes them to leak like leap like leak Blah. he makes them to leap like a calf we're talking about trees leaping like a calf lebanon and syrian like a young wild ox the voice of god Okay, here's the next one. Flames of fire. The voice of God makes the desert tremble. God causes the desert of Kadesh to tremble. And the seventh one, the voice of God frightens the does and strips the forest bare. And his sanctuary all shall proclaim his glory. And in his sanctuary all shall proclaim his glory. God set... As king at the flood. By the way, if you really think about the power of that phrase, because that's one of my favorite phrases in the Tehillim. Hashem sits as king at the flood. That when the flood happened in the world, there was only the household of Noah. And no one in that household proclaimed themselves to be king of the world. And by the way, they were at the mercy of Hashem. And they were the only ones, well, with the animals. So Hashem was like, all right, this is my dominion. This is what this is what true kingship looks like. That even when there's a flood, Hashem is unaffected by it. Most people that want to call themselves king and sit on thrones, that if there was a flood, not only would their dynasty be dead or their kingship would be dead, but also they would be dead. All right, so God will sit as king forever. God will give strength to his people and God will bless his people with shalom. Let's pick up there. During the giving of the Torah, this is from the Big Green Book, page 53B, right-hand column, commentary on 2911. Looking at this little insight from Talmud. It's going to be Zevakim 116a for you Talmud people out there says, during the giving of the Torah, a loud noise was heard throughout the entire world. All the kings were seized by fear and came to Balaam. Now, I want you to say all the kings, okay, seized by fear. Do we not just have a drop about if you're fearful and who's your, really your Lord and authority on that? It's anything but Hashem. So who did they come to? Because they certainly did not come to Moses. They came to Balaam. Balaam, it says, the wicked prophet to ask about this noise. So just think about that for a second. The entire world, all these kings, they're like, something is going down. We need to go talk to Balaam. Out of all that they could have done, they said, oh, yeah, we all know Balaam. And what kind of clout does Balaam have for the whole entire world to be like, yeah, we know you 
and we don't want to go to Moses. So you have the pinnacle of mankind, Moses and Balaam. And it's like, if you're Jewish, you went to Moshe. And if you're not Jewish, you went to Balaam. And you only went to Balaam because you didn't want to go to Moshe. So it really had nothing to do with you being Jewish or not. That's crazy to me. So it says they were all fearsome and all that, right? And it says they went to Balaam, the wicked prophet, to ask about the noise, fearing that God was bringing another flood or some other destruction to the world. Balaam replied, God is giving his precious Torah to his children, the Israelites. God will give strength, which is O's. Shouts out to the Chavendra Ta'os. That's right. Miss Freitas uh, Shlita. So may you have a good long life. Amen. Okay. So because her, her character comes from this, um, this word O's. I love it. Character has to do with the Torah. It's legit. Okay. Says, uh, I'm thrown off. All right, I can do this. Give strength to his people, which is how he'll give Torah to his people. Torah is called O's, by the way. Just broom, O's, strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? That's a psalm. So, joy is Simka, which rearranges to Mashiach, and Okay, so the joy of the Lord is our Torah. The Mashiach of the Lord is our Torah. Okay, just connect those dots. To which the kings responded, God will bless his people with Shalom. What is Shalom? Shalom is a name of God. So now you'll have the Torah in the name of the God, uh, in the name of God, which will be strength given to us from Hashem, which actually should fill us with and overflow us with joy. With literally the wellsprings of salvation, the wellsprings of Yeshua. And then we get the blessing of shalom upon us. Nothing broken, nothing missing, being shalom. And if you really just kind of look at that for a second, the nations are the ones who acknowledged God will bless his people with shalom. Yeah. Because Hashem said, I'll cause the nations to be blessed by you, right? Whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever curses you will be or cursed. Alright, got a few drops from the Midrash Shabbat to bring us home. Because I got to go count the Omer now. Getting ready for the next night of the Omer. Come on! Alright, so... The Midrash uh, Rabbah Shemot Parsha Yitro... 28.6 says this, The Midrash presents another description of the voice of God at Sinai. Rabbi Shamuel bar Nachmani said in the name of Rabbi Yonatan, What is the meaning of the voice of Hashem is with power? Tehillim 29.4 Is it possible to say such a thing? Why, no creature can withstand the voice of even one angel. What? Okay, as it is stated, and yeah, that's really here. No creature can withstand the voice of one angel. This is why in Revelation, when Yochanan is, you know, hearing the angel who has that voice talk to him, it's kind of like, what in the world? Oh my gosh. Anyway, 
But going on here, as it is stated in Daniel's vision of the angel, his body was like Tarshish. The sound of his words were loud, or sound of his words loud as a sound of a multitude. Daniel 10, 6. And thus said the Holy One, blessed be he of whom it is written, do I not feel heaven and earth? Yermiyahu 23, 24. Must he speak with power? I mean, Hashem, like, do you really got to do that? If you feel the whole entire earth and, you know, do you really got to raise your voice? It says, rather, the voice of Hashem is with power means that it is with the power appropriate for all the various voices with which he addressed the Jewish people at Sinai. Now, here's where it's crazy, right? Hashem is one voice, but speaking of many voices. Here's what the footnote says. Each utterance of Hashem at Mount Sinai was awesome and frightening. Therefore, as the Midrash explains above in 5.9 and below at 29.1 and 34.1, God calibrated his voice to accord with the power, koach, of each individual Jew to bear it. Okay? So, the power that we're looking to receive on Shavuot is going to play into Koach. And what's going to work with our Koach is going to be the O's, which is the power that Hashem is going to bestow upon us. So, we build up our Koach and Hashem gives us O's. Okay. With the power of each individual Jew to bear it. According to this interpretation, the word Bekoak, as in Ana Bekoak, Gedulat Yeminka. I don't know if that's really a song, but I'm just thinking. That prayer that we say during the counting of the Omer, um, please, by the mercy of your right hand's greatness, to tie the bundle of sins. That prayer, Ana Bekoak. So, the, the, but to the power, okay, so with the Bekoach, which is with power, does not relate to God's voice, but it relates to the power, the ability of each individual Jew to hear his voice with being overwhelmed. So, as we're praying every night for the Omer, we're asking Hashem to give us power to hear his voice. Ain't that something? Okay, each individual to hear his voice without being overwhelmed. Wow, so wait to receive O's from on high is what Mashiach says right before he ascends. And it's like, all right, we need to build up our co-op. All right, so Midrash about 29.5, still in Parsha Yitro. The Midrash now intimates, the Midrash now intimates that the first commandment also or speaks also of the absoluteness of God's kingship. So it says the Midrash will thus be providing another explanation of why God said, who has taken you out of the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. The kingship of such a ruler is not whole and absolute, for if the father is alive, the king must honor him 
and allow for if the father is alive the king must honor him and f allow him to participate in governing the kingdom or if there is a brother the king must actually share the reins of power and a son likewise exercises authority and ultimately inherits the dynasty so let's get into this another explanation of i am hashem your god who is taking you out of the land of egypt from the house of slavery rabbi abahu said i can explain this verse with the example of a human king who rules his kingdom and yet has a father or brother or son in our verse the holy one blessed be he was saying i am not like that rather i am first for i have no father i am last for i have no son and aside from me there is no god for i have no brother now that just goes all the way what in the world because do we not call the mashiach the son of god right all right so let's look at that but no 49 here we go face mask on i know it's too late but h yosef explains this statement allegorically god is saying do not think that things occur naturally in the world one event flowing from another as a son comes from a father and i am unable to prevent or change it as some philosophers would have it if that were the case my kingship would not be whole and absolute rather i determine and control everything to make this point god includes in the first commandment the reminder that he is the one who is taking you out of the land of egypt that is god's power to so drastically change israel's circumstances vividly demonstrates that his kingship is indeed absolute and there is no one who can stay his hand for a different interpretation of what ideas god was coming to negate see to ferret zion who cites malbim to bereshit 6 4 now there is no other this is why it's important to know devarim 6 4 that says hashem eloheinu hashem echad and not acher because if you draw a dalit or if you uh, scribe a dalit and you forget to put the little roof on the back of the dalit your dalit can look like a resh and you can make hashem is one you can make hashem is other and insinuating and implying and further Hashem has another besides himself who is God. And so when we look at that, that's really pointing to the fact that Mashiach is an extension of Hashem. And he's not something separate like the way we see father and son. We see them as the the son comes out from the parents and it's like he's doing his own thing. Well, and with Hashem, it doesn't work like that. So when Hashem has a son... It's not like he's going to rule after him kind of thing. It's it's a oneness that I don't I, I can't even articulate that like that is just I mean, the best thing I can say is this is why it's important to remember Mashiach is also the right arm of God. Also, the voice of God and the spirit of God and the word of God. So 
Yeah. I mean, you got a lot to really work through there to really just kind of splice Mashiach out and make them all separate. And when you start doing that to Mashiach, by the way, that's how we get, he wasn't born of a virgin. He's not God, you know, and he's, or he's not divine and he's just a man and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because you start separating them out. It's the same thing that happens in in Kabbalah, by the way, when you take any of the Sephirot and just start studying them by themselves. Because you're, if you start doing that, you you take out the uh, the unity, and you're, it's like you're just you're just looking at this isolated thing, disconnected from a source. And if you unplug power to something, you, it doesn't work. Your cell phone battery drains all the way out. It, it doesn't work unless you connect it back to power. So. I just wanted to point that out that Hashem is letting us know it is only him. And then the last thing I want to share is that this is from 29.8. The Midrash continues with this interpretation of the first commandment. When a human king goes out to a pleasurable setting... He goes out alone, alone. When a human king goes out to a pleasurable setting, he goes out alone. When he wages war, thousands upon thousands of soldiers go with him. But the Holy One, blessed be he, is not like that. Rather, when he goes out to war, he goes out by himself. As it is stated, Adonai is master of legions. And... It says Adonai is Ishmael Kama, according to the Hebrew. Hashem is Ishmael Kama. It says his name is Hashem. And then it goes on to say, And when he goes out to give the Torah at Mount Sinai, myriads upon myriads of angels went out with him. As it is stated, God's entourage is twice 10,000. Thousands of angels, Tehillim 68.18. Just to cover a few footnotes. Says this. God fights with his name and needs no help. Mami Bar Rabbah 11.7. Yeah, that's right. The name of God is what wars. Okay, because... Messiah, Torah made flesh, Torah's name of God. Torah has the name of God written on him, like Mashiach has the name of God written on him. Revelation stuff, so there's that. The Midrash takes this verse as indicating that many tens of thousands of angels, cross-reference notes 6, 8, 16 and 18 above, and see Rashash, says the Midrash is explaining that Hashem alone is worthy of being called God. Number one, he needs no help and goes out to war alone, unlike a human king. Number two, he does not need honor from others. To the contrary, he gives honor to others. As Tiferet Zion writes, by bringing myriads of angels with him, he gave the Torah he gave honor both to the angels and to the people of Israel. So, there's that.
And it's only appropriate to bring down what Mashiach says that when he returns, that he's going to have uh, angels with him. Let's go ahead and source that out because they were asking him, tell us if you're the, the Mashiach. Remember uh, Matthew 25? Let's go ahead and read it in context, shall we? When the Son of Man comes in his glory, which remember, Hashem is the one who gives glory. So there's that. And it says, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious thrones. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep on his right, goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, who you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you stranger and take you in, or naked and clothe you? When did you when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. But wait, Hashem has no brothers. <laughs> Goes on to say, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they too will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then the king will answer, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these you did not do for me and they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous or into eternal life so that's uh that's matthew 25 it says and when yeshua finished saying all these things he told his tamadim you know that pesach is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified so just kind of like all right so you know the rundown i gave you a heads up and by the way um the whole context of what we just read you know that's that's a snippet of you know what what he said when he was you know standing before those who were trying to crucify him and he was saying the son of man will come in his glory so Rukashem, I want to go to that passage though. Cause that was kind of when uh when they were like, okay, off with his head, <laughs> you know, when he said that to them. Yep, we got the return and all that. Okay. 
Let's see. Betrayal, Sanhedrin, are you the son of God? Okay, you have said so. Man, it's hard to find this. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, so they're saying, um, are you the king of the Jews? You know, Pilate is doing that. He says, are you saying this on your own? Yeshua asked, or did others tell you about me? And then Yeshua says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is not of this realm. Then you are a king, Pilate said. You say that I am a king, Yeshua answered. For this reason, I was born and have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. What is truth? Pilate asked. And having said this, he went out again to the Jews and told them, I find no basis for a charge against him. So he basically got the hook up on that. So that's legit. Okay. You'll see the Son of Man coming in his glory. It's basically what I was wanting to make sure that I got a good drop on because, again, we know that Messiah is going to come back the way that he left. But when he comes back, he's going to come out of the clouds. And just like at the giving of the Torah, it was revealed with many myriads of angels. And so the same thing with, you know, the Son of Man will come with the angels and will be gathered in. Matthew 16 goodness gracious for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done 2531 is basically what we uh, launched out on you know again it's in the midst of all the parables but Mashiach is laying this all down and looking for one specific thing here so hang on a second Talk amongst yourselves. Is it a Yokanon 18 drop? Hmm. It's basically what made everybody uh, outraged at everything.
Ah, uh, this is the one I'm thinking about. It's Yeshua before the Sanhedrin. So the cheat. So this is in uh, Mark 14, and starting in 53, says they led Yeshua away to the the Kohen Hagadol. And the chief priests and elders and scribes assembled, like the Avengers, or shall we say the anti-Avengers. So Doom Troop or uh, Villains Club, anti-hero, whatever thing. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the Kohen Hagadol. And he sat with the officers and warmed himself by the fire. So they're doing all this, right? And so they're asking him, you know, what does it say? We heard him say, "He, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days I will build up another one that is made without hands. That's interesting. But even their testimony was inconsistent. That's funny. Okay, so the very one that, you know, they're trying to stick him for, it's like, well, nope, that ain't even right. says, so the Cohen stood up before him and questioned have you no answer what these men are testifying against you? But Yeshua remained silent, made no reply. Again, the Kohen Gadol questioned him, Are you the Mashiach, the son of the blessed one? I am, Yeshua said. You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then that will connect us back over into the previous verses we just read. So, all of that being said, Shabbat, very powerful time, a lot going on, and I pray that uh, all of us are really preparing ourselves for the occasion that it is. Uh, this is not a repeat of anything. This is not, uh, oh, let's just remember some really cool, awesome stories, but like we're, this is going to happen in the present. So just like Mashiach commanded his Talmudim, just like we're doing as we're commanded to count the Omer, just like Moshe was told by Shem, prepare yourselves, you know, let's get it in, you know, as we get close to Shavuot, that uh, within those three days, you know, so from the third of Savan on, that, you know, it's on, you know, we're really sanctifying ourselves, preparing ourselves, we're ready, and, and um, getting in that mentality really, uh, going deeper in our teshuva really you know really getting down into the the nitty-gritty on that and studying as much torah as possible you know um the book of our heritage was bringing down that you know we we uh up our torah study for those three days headed up to shavuot so really the whole way that we would wash our clothes so to speak and uh abstain from you know, the men and the women being together, that would be your Torah study. So if you're really with the Shem and uh, really pressing in towards that high mark, you know, that's what that looks like for us today. So not thinking that, oh, we're temporarily on Nida and all this kind of stuff and all that. That's that's not what that's going into. Because, like, I know it can be like, all right, we're doing everything exactly like we did in Shemot chapter 19. And it's like, yeah, but again we're not on that level and we're literally not out in the wilderness we still are at home you know and all that kind of stuff so you know let's follow the follow what's brought down by our sages you know and stick with you know our community and you know prepare ourselves and i pray that all of you have a wonderful amazing shavuot 
and that Hashem truly does bring forth a new mocha for everyone. Like bring it, bring it down. New spiritual influence, new spiritual uh, vision and sights and ability to see and interpret and drosh, share and source and just, I mean, just bring redemption into the world, light the world up, push back against darkness and sickness and disease of all kinds. Everything that you're able to do, may Hashem equip you and empower you, increase your koach through his O's. Bishem Yeshua Kenyehi Ratzon. Please send Mashiach now. Reveal the final Geula.